Welcome to A Bigger Life, where you can break through the distractions, stop, listen, and speak to God in prayer. I'm Dave Cover. I want to help you use the Bible as your conversation with God so you can live a bigger life. In our last episode, we looked at Psalm 103, but we looked at the first five verses. The majority of it still was ignored because I, we just couldn't cover it all in one episode. But I want to look at it today because I think it answers one of the things that you and I struggle with, and that is how do we live with the one person we have to live with constantly, and that's ourself. How do you live with yourself? What are the mental gymnastics you have to play in order somehow to live with you, to be somebody who is able to function relationally with other people and able to function being alone without being torn apart by the contradictions that comprise you, that make up you, this side at least of the resurrection. And I think Psalm 106 really, at least for me, over the years has been really helpful. It's been empowering. It's been something that has, in a weird way, almost a counterintuitive way, lifted my chin, lifted my head up in a way that allows me to live with myself and allows me to have this more positive, helpful, what the Bible calls, I think, redemptive way of living with other people. And to live with other people redemptively, we have to have a redemptive view of ourselves. There's no way to avoid it. And the first way we do that is to have a view of God that is consistent with who he really is. Remember, we looked at that quote from A.W. Tozer, that how we define God, how we think of God will determine, define the whole of our lives. And so we looked in the last episode at the first five verses. I just want to read the first verse just to give us a little bit of a summary of the last episode. The first verse is hallelujah, praise the Lord. Hallelujah in Hebrew, praise Yahweh in Hebrew. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. Here's why we want to have a view of worshiping God in praise and thanksgiving, because he is the I am, he's Yahweh, he is the he is, his Hebrew name, and then he is good, and third, his steadfast love endures forever. So having that as our foundation, being able to look up and seeing our lives in the context of our creator, the I am, who is good and his will for us is good, his plan for us is good, we can trust his goodness and we can trust that his steadfast love endures forever. With that as our foundation, then we go to verse 6 and it takes a turn in Psalm 106 and it takes an important turn. It says, both we and our fathers have sinned. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedness. This is an important verse because it's another example in the Bible 
of a really important principle of taking responsibility for the sins of our ancestors. That's how the Bible sees us. It sees us as a tree with branches that all stem from one plant, and that is we all come from our ancestors. None of us are born as if we're the first of a prototype. We all come from those who have gone before us, and in so many ways, their sins have been passed down in us. And so that's why we see examples in the Old Testament, like in Ezra 9 and Nehemiah 9 and Daniel 9. It's interesting that they're all chapter 9s. I think that's completely coincidence, but it's easy to remember. In all of those places in the Old Testament, we see them confessing the sins of their ancestors as part of their own important taking responsibility for their sin, their, in, their important kind of repentance. We live in a culture that is focused on therapy, but we have it wrong. We have this idea that the way we find healing, we all kind of know we have this brokenness. But the way our culture defines it, narrates it, is that the way we find healing is by focusing on our positives and finding ways to ignore the negatives, deny the negatives, live as if the negatives aren't true. And we have the idea that to have a positive view of myself, I have to have a strong sense of self-image, strong sense of self-worth, and that's how I find healing. That's a therapeutic view that doesn't do us any therapy at all in reality. There's not going to be any healing in denying a reality that comprises our lives. The best way to find healing is to face reality. That's true physically when we find any healing, and it's also true spiritually, emotionally, mentally. And one of the ways that's important for us to do, rather than trying to go around our sins around our brokenness is to go right through it. That's how you find healing. And that's what we see here in Psalm 106. Again, we don't naturally resonate with this because in our culture, we just are raised in a whole different narrative. But let this be something that challenges your thinking. To find healing, we need to have this sense of need, this sense of need for forgiveness, this sense of need for redemption, in a sense that we're taking responsibility, we're owning our sin. We're owning the ways that we have been selfish. We're owning the ways that our brokenness has damaged other people and turned away from our Creator, grieved the Holy Spirit. Now, again, you might be thinking, wow, I don't want to do this. I, I, I can't take this right now. This is not where I am. I don't want to pile on to myself. That's not what I need. I'm not saying you need to pile on yourself. What I'm trying to say is it's counterintuitive. I have found, at least for me, that I have unloaded. I have found freedom. I have found this sense of healing by facing my sin and my brokenness and the ways I've damaged other people head on. Again, it's counterintuitive, but I think the Bible's right on this, and I found it to be true in my own life. So listen to how it states it. We, me, my ancestors, my community, we and our fathers have sinned. We have committed iniquity. There's nothing watering down here. We have done wickedness. 
And then what happens in the rest of this psalm is it goes over the history of Israel when, when they were in Egypt and being delivered from Egypt and that first generation in the desert. So this, at the time of this writing, is centuries before that, but they're still taking responsibility for those sins of their ancestors, even though they were committed centuries beforehand. Now, I've said here before in this podcast that when I read Psalms for prayer, to pray scripture back to God, to worship God, I'm not doing a Bible study. And so what I, Psalm 106 has been beneficial to me, not because I'm necessarily needing to confess the sins of my fathers who were in Egypt. That's not what this Psalm is doing for me. But what it does is describe the ways that sin shows up in dysfunction in our lives spiritually and dysfunction in our lives relationally. And when I read these phrases, it, it humbles me. It helps me see, okay, yeah, that's, that is me. I, I, I have done that. I do do that. And when I can recognize that and take responsibility for that and almost diagnose a kind of cancer in me, when I, the more I accurately diagnose it, the more I can fight it and find healing from it. So verse 7, one of the first phrases in describing the spiritual dysfunction of their ancestors that we might resonate with inside of us. I know I resonate with this inside of me. It says this, the first thing, they did not consider your wondrous works. Another way to translate that, they did not remember your wondrous works. Now here specifically, this psalm is talking about God's works in Egypt and the parting of the Red Sea and all that kind of stuff. But those were all metaphors that were pointing to the work ultimately of Jesus in breaking through the Red Sea, of breaking through the other side of death, taking our sin upon himself. He took all the plagues of God on himself on the cross, and he broke through the Red Sea of evil and death, broke through the other side to the promised land by rising from the dead. And that's the ultimate act of salvation. That is the ultimate wondrous work of God on our behalf. We really don't even have a tip of the iceberg of knowledge of what God has done for us and why he has done it, but we can at least say and begin to resonate with the fact that his wondrous works in Jesus were done for us. Remember Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I put my faith in God, in Christ Jesus specifically, who loved me and gave himself for me. We have to have that kind of attitude when we think about and we remember the life and the miracles and the death death and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. But when we forget that, when we don't remember the wondrous works of God for us because of his love for us, because of his will for us is good, because of his steadfast love for us that is forever, it goes on and says, they did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, the abundance of God's steadfast love who loved me and gave himself for me because of the abundance of his steadfast love to take my sin upon himself, to take my judgment upon himself, my brokenness, the disease of my dysfunction upon himself, and to kill it on the cross and to break through the other side of death because of his abundance of steadfast love for me. I forget that. I live ignoring it. But if I thought about it, the God that created this universe and the abundance of his steadfast love for me that he became human in order to bring me in, 
to give me amnesty, to give me new life that I could be with him in his glory and his goodness and his steadfast love forever. That the number one sin in my life is when I live ignoring that. So it says in verse 10, he saved them from the hand of the foe and redeemed them from the power of the enemy. Now, this is talking about Egypt and their false gods, but this is ultimately true of us in the gospel, that he has redeemed us from the power of our spiritual enemy. He has saved us from the hand of our foe and brought us back into Genesis 1:26, back into this status of being crowned with glory and steadfast love as being created in his image to exercise his dominion upon the earth. That's what the kingdom of God is going to be when Jesus returns. He brings heaven back to earth. He brings plan A back to earth. He brings Genesis 1:26 back to earth. He has saved us from the hand of our foe and redeemed us from the power of our enemy. Verse 13, but they soon forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel. Verse 20, they exchanged the glory of God for the image of an ox that eats grass. Now, this is talking about Exodus 32, making the golden calf, worshiping it as some sort of physical form of Yahweh. They were creating God in their own image. They exchanged the glory of God for the image. So remember, God says through the prophet Jeremiah in the Old Testament book of Jeremiah, chapter 2, verse 11, my people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. This is God's description of when we forget and we turn and we exchange the glory of God for the image, the glory of the real creator of this universe, the glory of that God, the God who created this universe, his beauty, his glory, his splendor, his majesty, his goodness, his steadfast love, his infinite I amness. We exchange the glory of God for the image. Paul says the exact same thing in the New Testament book of Romans chapter 1, verse 21, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images. When we sin, when we are doing something that we want to do that we know is not God's will. We do it in the moment. We don't think much about it because we're forgetting his wondrous works and we're exchanging. This is what's happening in reality. We're exchanging the glory of God for the image of something that we think will satisfy us more than God. We forget God, our Savior, who has done great things, it says in verse 21. His wondrous works, his awesome deeds, 
So it says in verse 24, they despised the pleasant land, having no faith in his promise. Remember, God brought them out of Egypt, took them through the Red Sea that he parted when they walked through on dry land, and then they went eventually to the land that he wanted to give them. They sent 12 spies. Ten of them came back and said, they're too big for us. This whole thing's been a bad plan. Now what are we going to do? We're going to die. And God says that they despised the pleasant land because they had no faith in his promise. Again, that was a metaphor for the kingdom of God, Jesus bringing heaven back to earth, Jesus restoring this earth, Jesus giving us resurrection. That's what heaven is. It's not going somewhere else. It's heaven come back to us, and we have a restored creation to its glory and beauty and its splendor and majesty of God's creation and our resurrection, just like Jesus' resurrection, that's going to be forever. This is the promise we have of the gospel, but we despise it. We have no faith in it when we turn away from it and finding our own goodness, our own plan for our lives. Verse 25, they murmured in their tents and did not obey the voice of the Lord. I murmur and do not obey the word of God when I try to find my own good. I try to find something that satisfies me outside of God's goodness, outside of God's word, outside of God's steadfast love, outside of God's wondrous works. I exchange the glory of God for images. I forget God, my Savior. I'm despising this promise of the pleasant land, the earth restored and renewed in the kingdom of God that he has promised to bring me in if I would just trust him as my king. Having no faith in his promise, not enough at least to want to stay inside that story at this moment in my life when I'm choosing to sin, choosing to exchange the glory of God. So verse 36, they served their idols, which became a snare to them. They sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons. Now, here's something that's amazing, that this passage is saying what the New Testament also says, that the idols are actually demons behind those idols. They're fooling us. These images of something that we think is the God substitute is actually a demon fooling us. And how did they get to the point where they were actually sacrificing their sons and their daughters to these idols to actually in reality to these demons is how sin works in our life is sort of starts here and it progresses and it progresses to where eventually they served their idols, which became a snare to them so that they even sacrificed their kids to these idols, thinking that that's what would bring prosperity, that's what would bring healing, maybe, that's what would bring relief if they would sacrifice their kids to these idols, actually, in reality, to these demons. Now, we are appalled at that until we remember all the ways that our own idols, our own exchanging the glory of God for images, our own forgetting and despising His promise causes us to sacrifice the people closest to us in order to pursue our own idols. We do it all the time. We may not kill them on an altar, but in turning away from God, we do things that are actually killing them spiritually. But verse 45, but for their sake, he remembered his covenant and relented according to the abundance of his steadfast love. It's God's covenant to us in Christ, with us in Christ. He remembered his covenant. He remembered his abundant, steadfast love and forgave them. So verse 47, save us, O Lord, our God, 
that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Let's return to the true glory, this is saying, the real glory that is found in worshiping the true God, the God that created me, the God that created this universe, that I would look to him and look up to him and ask for him to save us, save me, to make him my God again, to remember his promise again, to remember his wondrous works again, to glory in his gospel, to glory in this story, to glory in his presence, to glory in his goodness, to glory in the abundance of his steadfast love. The last verse, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel. Remember, we are Israel, Paul says in Romans chapter 10. We're brought into Israel, brought into the offspring of Abraham because we are in Christ, the ultimate offspring of Abraham. It's always been about this true church, this true assembly of the new humanity created in God's image through new resurrection of heaven returning to earth. That's the true Israel, and the world is the true promised land. It's what the New Testament teaches. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. We are part of this eternal story with the God who inhabits eternity. And eternity is the reality of all of this. This story is so serious. The consequences so high, the stakes so large, because it is from everlasting to everlasting. I want to be in this narrative. Now, if I'm honest, all these phrases describe me in some way. And I just find, for me, just for me, I find relief, healing, joy, hope, a sense of optimism when I can identify the real problems in my soul, in my life that are causing harm to me, causing harm to my loved ones, causing my life to be dysfunctional. When I can identify those things and accurately diagnose them, that's when I find a better path. That's when I can really start to repair and and find redemption in my life, growth in my life. When I can open up the closets and shine the light on the monsters in my closet, I don't have to be afraid of them anymore. I can get rid of them. I don't have to defend myself. I don't have to go through some sort of self-image exercise. You're good enough. You're smart, smart enough and doggone it. People love you, like you, whatever. I don't have to do that. I can just be honest and I can deal with reality because we are all a mixed bag and there are positive things about us and we are growing spiritually. This is why you're listening to this podcast. You're you're doing something that is trying to grow spiritually. That's a really good thing. Sets you apart from most people, not in a self-righteous way, but that God is working in your life kind of way. And the reason why God is working in your life is because of his abundant, steadfast love and his goodness. And he is bringing you out of Egypt. He is bringing you out of slavery. He is bringing you into his promised land and They had dysfunctions that we see here in this psalm, and you do too, and I do too. And when we can deal with those things, then we can really start to get back to not exchanging the glory of God. We don't have to forget God. We don't have to forget his wondrous works. We don't have to despise the promise of the gospel, the restored earth, and our restored bodies. We don't have to do the kinds of things that are causing people to sacrifice the most valuable things in their lives to idols, which are actually to demons that have become a snare to them. We don't have to do any of that. Instead, we can come to God, lift up our eyes and say, heal me, save me, that I may glory in your holy name because of what Jesus has done for me, because Jesus is my righteousness Jesus is my hope. Jesus is my forgiveness. All my iniquity has been placed on him, not just some. 
and more and more I can put myself in this real story from everlasting to everlasting. And so we can lift our eyes and pray, hallelujah, praise Yahweh, praise the I am, praise he is, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. But I have sinned. I have committed iniquity. I have done wickedness. No doubt about it. There's no getting around it. There's no trying to make it better than it is. I can I face the reality, Lord, that I have done what is wicked. I have committed iniquity. I have done what is evil in your sight. I have not remembered your wondrous works. I have not remembered your wondrous works for me, and so I've tried to find significance other ways. I've tried to find importance through myself and trying to bring attention to myself and trying to get people to see me as great in some way, to bring glory to myself in some way, to derive my glory from me in some way instead of from you. And I forget your wondrous works and it causes me to become somebody who boasts. It causes me to become somebody who has these humble brags, tries to bring attention to myself, tries to find significance and importance and pleasure through ways of turning away from you because I've forgotten your wondrous works for me in Christ. I did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love. Jesus said, greater love has no one than this that they should lay down their life for their friends. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is your love for me. Your abundant, steadfast love for me has already been proven by your wondrous work of coming and dying on the cross and rising from the dead for me, Paul says, for me. And I believe this. I don't want to forget this. And I confess that I've been living, ignoring it, forgetting it, embracing another narrative outside of your abundant goodness and your abundant steadfast love for me, outside of your abundant works for me, trying to find my identity by denying my sin and trying to somehow believe something that's not true. But I know that true freedom and true healing come through owning my sin being honest about the reality of my sin, my disobedience, my unbelief, my turning away from you, my exchanging your glory for my own glory, my exchanging your glory for images, shadows of your glory that I think will bring my life greater satisfaction, but you are the fountain of living waters and my broken cisterns are not going to satisfy Forgive me that I get excited, I get more motivated by other prosperity rather than the prosperity of your gospel, your good news of all that you are for me in Christ and all that you will bring me into your inheritance and the riches of your inheritance in this kingdom of God, the kingdom of God that is worth sacrificing everything else so that I can live with the value of your kingdom. And I've been forgetting that. I've been ignoring that. And I ask for your forgiveness because it causes me to have all these dysfunctions in my life that change the price tags and make things that have little value so valuable in my heart and make things that have this incredible 
eternal value something more insignificant in my heart. That's the exchange of glory. And I've done it. I do it. And I ask your forgiveness. I ask your forgiveness for the ways that I have sacrificed people to my idols, sacrificed their well-being, sacrificed their prosperity, sacrificed blessing them, sacrificed loving them, sacrificed cultivating care in their lives because of my selfishness, because of the idols in my life. And I've been being tricked by demons who have become a snare in my life. And I turn away from them and I turn toward you. I reject their lies and I embrace your truth. I reject their snare and I embrace your path for me, your will for me that is good and according to your abundant steadfast love. My rebellion against you is stupid. It's self-destructive. It's demonic. It's idolatrous. It's forgetting your wonderful works. It's exchanging your glory for a shadow image. And I pray that you would remember your covenant to me in Christ, that you would remember the blood of Christ when you look at me, that you would remember the righteousness of Christ when you look upon me, that you would remember the death of Jesus when you forgive me of my sin, that you would remember me when you come with your kingdom because of your covenant, because of Jesus' obedience, because of Jesus' death, because of Jesus' resurrection, that you would remember me and that you would forgive me according to the abundance of your steadfast love, that you would heal me, O Lord my God, that you would save me, O Lord my God, that you would redeem me, O Lord my God, and that through me you would live redemptively through me to bring love to others, to care for others, to cultivate faithfulness in others, that I would live redemptively, that I would be able to glory in your holy name, that I would be able to glory in your abundant steadfast love, that I would be able to glory in your goodness, that I would glory in the one who is from everlasting to everlasting, that I would glory in the one who inhabits eternity, that I would glory in the one who is the Alpha and the Omega and the beginning and the end, that I would glory in the I Am who is the source of all existence and the giver of all life and the one who is always 100% present with me, fully, infinitely present with me. Hallelujah. I praise Yahweh for you are good and your steadfast love endures with me, endures me, endures forever. In Jesus name. Amen. Thanks for listening to A Bigger Life, a podcast of The Crossing, a church in Columbia, Missouri. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and give it a rating so people can find this content more easily or consider texting it to a friend or posting it on social media. Thanks for listening.